Welcome again as we take a look at the scriptures for Tuesday during Holy Week, otherwise known as Holy Tuesday. Today, the scriptures that the gospel give us are from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 21 through 33, and verses 36 through 38. Again, John, chapter 13, 21 through 33, and 36 through 38. I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, to, to read along with us as I proclaim the gospel here for you. Reclining at table with his disciples, Jesus was deeply troubled and testified, Amen, amen, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another at a loss as to whom he meant. One of the disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter nodded to him to find out whom he meant. He leaned back against Jesus' chest and said to him, Master, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I hand the morsel after I have dipped it. So he dipped the morsel and took it and handed it to Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot. After Judas took the morsel, Satan entered him. So Jesus said to him, What are you going what you are going to do, do quickly. Now none of those reclining at table realized why he had said this to him. Some thought that since Judas kept the money bag, Jesus had told him, buy what we need for the feast, or to give something to the poor. So Judas took the morsel and left it once, and it was night. When he had left, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and he will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and as I told the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say it to you. Simon Peter said to him, Master, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, though you will follow later. Peter said to him, Master, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Amen, amen, I say to you, the cock will not crow before you deny me three times. This gospel should sound pretty familiar to us because it's what we think of when we think of the Last Supper, the last Passover that our Lord celebrates. And what's interesting is, uh, to start us off, we have to take a look at a couple things. And the first is when it occurred. Now, uh, what I would first like to, to propose to you is, it's a little academic, but I think it's worth our while. The question I pose is, was this on Tuesday night or was this on when we usually celebrate it Thursday night? Now, um, we have to understand a couple things. Uh, the first is that uh, history seems to tell us and scripture would tell us that our Lord um, was uh, was having his last supper in the cynical, in the upper portion, uh, the upper room uh, that was part of the Essene uh, quarter of Jerusalem. Now, what's so important about the Essenes is that they were a monastic community. Uh, we have various groups. You can think of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the Essenes. The Essenes were the holy monks. They were considered the holiest of the holy and they lived, um, they lived to the northeast of Jerusalem out in the desert. And they were there waiting for 
the Messiah in a very in a, a very austere way. Um, there are far there are men far greater and smarter than myself that explain this uh, better. Um, suffice it to say that it would seem that um, Jesus was in that uh, that uh, quarter. How do we know that? Well, uh, when we when we hear about uh, the Passover and our Lord coming in to prepare for it, um, our Lord sends uh, the disciples to go talk uh, to go find a man carrying a water jar on his shoulder. Now, why is that so important? Well, in the ancient world, in in Jewish society, um, that was a job for a woman, uh, and that was the job for for the wife. Now, what's interesting is the Essenes were very very different from the rest of the Jews. Uh, within Jewish society, marriage was so important, so important because of the command back in Genesis 1 and 2, that they were to be to marry, to be fruitful, and to multiply. However, uh, the Essenes were a little more eschatological, meaning they studied the, the, the last things. And so um, they, oddly enough, were single for the Lord. Uh, they dedicated their lives as celibates. So for them... Only the Essenes would be seen carrying water because they were all men. And so uh, we see that uh, for uh, within the gospel. And it gives us an idea of where uh, scripturally our Lord celebrated that Last Supper. We also know from archaeology, uh, we have found that upper rune. You can visit, to, visit it today in Jerusalem. And it is part of the Essenes quarter quarter and all the history shares that. So we're pretty confident that he's there. And that's that's very important uh, for a couple reasons. The first reason is, as you know, in uh, that our scriptures are a little different than uh, when it comes to the Old Testament than our Protestant brethren as well as our uh, Jewish brethren. And part of that is because of the difference in the text that they used. Uh, we have seven more books and portions of other books uh, than the Protestants and many of the Jews do. And uh, that's a long story. Suffice it to say that uh, we use a translation, a Greek translation called the Septuagint. Well, uh, why do we use that? And why don't the Protestants and many of the Jews use that? Well, it has to do with language and uh, a council that some talk about called Jamnia. Uh, but we won't discuss that Uh why did we end up choosing this? Well, there are a lot of different reasons, but what I would like to point out is that um, our Lord in um, our Lord in the Gospels, and then even in in the rest of the New Testament, um, uh, there are three hundred Old Testament quotes there, and approximately two thirds of them came from the Septuagint. And for our Lord, it's the high eighties that the majority of the quotes they used came from the Septuagint, a portion of Scripture that the Pharisees and the Sadducees um, uh, none of them uh, would have uh, been using. It's a completely separate text. Additionally, uh, that text, that Septuagint, that was used by the Essenes, strictly by the Essenes. The Essenes also had a very different calendar than the rest of the Jews. Uh, they used uh, a solar calendar while the rest used a lunar calendar. And so uh, what I would propose to you is that uh, that uh, there is a a theory um, called uh, the the calendar proposal uh, that seems to make a great deal of sense uh, when it uh, when it comes to it. And there are a number of things that come into it. Um, among them, uh, first, uh, as I already mentioned, that the Jerusalem Temple followed a lunar calendar. 
which uh, the feast days fell on different days each year. Um, but the Essene community, uh, they preferred a solar calendar, uh, which annual uh, festivals always fell on the same uh, day of the week year after year. And so Passover on the lunar calendar would move, but on the solar calendar uh, would be uh, would be um, stable. And so what we find is uh, what we find is that according to the solar calendar that year, it would have been Tuesday night or the first hours of Wednesday. Because remember that for the Jewish day, it goes from dusk to dusk uh, for it. Uh, so uh, that's one piece that. Uh, that seems very plausible. Another one uh, suggests uh, that because the cynical was in the upper room and the in the Essene uh, corridor, uh, that uh, that's the most probable location for the last, uh, the last Supper, which is on the southwest hill of the city. Um, and uh, it, it seems that that portion of the city was very much stuck with that Essene solar calendar. We also find that evidence uh, that uh, our Lord, and I'll come back to this in a second, was not using the traditional Jewish Passover meal, which included a lamb, but more akin to the Todah sacrifice. The Essenes thought that the temple had been desecrated and so that there was no sacrifice, there's no lamb to sacrifice and offer there. So they used the Todah sacrifice, which only included bread, uh, unleavened bread and, and wine and no lamb. Uh, but hold on to that. That did not mean that at that last supper, there was not an unblemished lamb uh, present. The question of of it was, was it uh, present there on a plate or in a person? The third piece uh, is a hypothesis that goes on to say that since the uh, since the uh, Last Supper took place on a, a Tuesday night, and that's when he was um, arrested, uh, it's more plausible for all the trials and the visits to take place over several days instead of one night. Now, it is technically possible. Um, however, uh, what we're saying is that Jesus, who was taken before Annas, uh, who was the uh, one of the high priests, uh, which was in John 18, 13, and uh, verses 19 through 23, and Caiaphas, uh, which was John 18, 24. Then he was taken to the Sanhedrin, which you can find in Luke 22, 66 through verse 71. Then he was taken to Herod, in Luke 23, verses 6 through 11, and Pilate in John 18, 28 through 40. And for some of them, there were multiple trips there. Now, um, again, you could technically do it all in a single night, but it, the events um, are, are more comfortable and more plausible if they span over sev uh, several days. A fourth, a fourth reason um, is a Syriac text from the third century, which actually explicitly states that Jesus celebrated the Last Supper on Tuesday night. Um, and it was from the teaching of the apostles, and it was um, uh, five and verses, uh, chapter five, verses uh, 12 through 18. That's not part of scripture, but it's, uh, it's a document, a historical document that we use. Um, along the same lines, there are other ancient writers, such as uh, 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 Victorinus of uh, uh, Patau, and then St. Epiphanius, um, who all stated that Jesus was taken into custody on Tuesday night. And I also like to, to bring out that on April 5th in 2007, when Pope Benedict XVI was comment, commenting um, on, uh, on this text, um, he talked about that this solution is actually worthy of consideration. 
and uh, and so it's something that we uh, do, are we stuck with, and do we say, oh, we need to move the days? No, no, because this is uh, this is liturgy. Um, however, it's it's good for us to know because there are certain things that happen within John's gospel that you don't hear uh, during uh, during the synoptic gospels, which would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, for instance, uh, when our Lord is on the cross and he's dying, John makes the comment that you can hear the lambs in the background being slaughtered for Passover. Well, did Passover already take place or did not take place? Um, and so all that internal evidence seems to suggest that, that um, it could have possibly happened on um, a, a Tuesday instead of a Thursday. But for our, uh, for our uh, purposes, it really doesn't matter uh, because we're looking at this text and seeing what it can tell us for this Holy Tuesday, or what we uh, what we sometimes call uh, what we sometimes call um, uh, that it was the the Commitment Tuesday. Um, and so, uh, where do we see that, and and why do we say that? Well, uh, we say that because uh, that commitment was reinforced uh, down near uh, the ends of of the reading. Uh, when we're when we're looking uh, in our chapter, and let me move over to it again. There we go. Uh, and so, when Jesus says, uh, "Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, though you will follow me later," and it's it shows our Lord's resolve. This does take place during what uh, we would call uh, the Last Supper. It's familiar to us, except in John's Gospel, he doesn't explicitly say it's the Last Supper. Um, it's what we call part of the last discourses or the will and, uh, the will and testament of our Lord. And you can think of it this way. Uh, if you knew that you were about to die, if you were having the last meal with the people that you love, what would you say to them? What would come to mind? What would you share? And so uh, that's what we see going on here. That's what we see uh, throughout this whole, whole scriptures. Um, taking a look at it, uh, we start there. We notice that they're reclining at table. With his disciples in the ancient world, you did recline. You didn't sit in chairs. Uh, there's some great portraits of our Lord at the Last Supper. Uh, it works very well because we can see all the, the faces, but um, it wasn't a square table. They didn't sit on chairs. It was more uh, circular, and they all reclined. And they all reclined and leaned on their their left um, arm so they could eat with, with the right. So we find them reclining at a table, and it says that Jesus was deeply uh, uh, troubled. Um, and then what was he troubled about? Well, he already knew that the passion was coming. Remember, our Lord is a divine person with a human and divine nature. And so he shares and all that. So he knows what's coming. It's for this he was born. It's for this he's come uh, to testify and how he, he will be glorified by the Father. You hear God a lot within the Gospel of John. And nine times out of ten, when John says God, he means the Father, God the Father. Uh, for it. So we find that our Lord is uh, deeply troubled, which makes sense because he knows he's about to be arrested. And then he says he testifies. Now, remember, testimony is important. It means that that there's, there's this uh, oath that's taking place or there's this covenant taking place. And remember, this is within the Last Supper, within the synoptics. And so it's there where he uses the word covenant for the first and only time. He says a new covenant, and with all covenants there are oaths. 
And so you see that oath taking place when he says, amen, amen, I say to you, that's an oath formula that's uh, saying, I swear it. Um, and what does it say? One of you is going to be uh, betray me. Uh, what's interesting is it's clear that the disciples didn't know who it was. They looked around and they were uh, at a loss, as scripture uh, says. Um, and then one of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, the one whom Jesus loved, who are we talking about? We're talking about John the Beloved here. John the Beloved here. And, and it says that he was reclining at Jesus' side. So if you want to picture it, uh, to Jesus' right was uh, John the Beloved, the apostle. And then next to John was Peter. Because it says in the next verse that Simon Peter nodded to him to find out whom he meant. Uh, and it says he leaned back against Jesus' chest. Well, that was very common. You sat so close that... Um, it was not a far distance to kind of lean back. It's kind of how you kind of, it's, hey, let me say something very quiet so everybody doesn't uh, doesn't overhear it. And so uh, John uh, says, uh, Master, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one whom I hand the morsel after I have dipped it. So he dipped the morsel and took it and handed it to Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot. Now, we all know that Judas Iscariot is the one who betrayed our Lord. Uh, but where was Judas sitting? It turns out when you look at all the Gospels, Judas was sitting to the left. Now, here's what we know in the ancient world. Um, it was different than modern society. In modern society, when you go to a banquet, the guest of honor always sits to the right. Well, that was not so in the ancient society. They actually sat to the left. They sat to the left. And part of the honor, uh, when you threw a banquet for someone, uh, the one you were honoring sat to the left, and uh, you gave them the first morsel, or they got to dip uh, that first morsel with the host. And, of course, our Lord was the host here. And so uh, who was to the right? Uh, the right was uh, reserved for the trusted friend, the person you trusted the most. And so it's interesting that uh, if you think of it this way, our Lord, we know, is deeply troubled. He knows this is the last night with his disciples, but he 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 brings the Passover and he puts Judas to his left, the place of honor, the place where where he's he's trying to build him up and to encourage him, and he shows his love for him by putting him in that place and offering him that for first morsel. But we know the end of the story, don't we? That that Judas um, on on Wednesday, tomorrow, um, he betrays our Lord. And we'll talk more about that uh, when we talk about Spy Wednesday. And so uh, they don't know who it is. It seems that uh, Judas has been good enough to kind of hide um, all, um, all of that uh, that was going on uh, within him. Uh, and what we find out is right after he eats that, that morsel in 1327, it says that Satan entered him. Um, that that seemed to be the final uh, the final blow that allowed Satan to have um, control, and so you might be saying, "Oh, he possessed him." Well, it doesn't say that; um, it infers it. Um, however, uh, please remember uh, when you think of possessions, uh, you think of what you've seen in the movies or what you've heard. Possession doesn't mean that you have no control; it just means sometimes you don't, or you're heavily influenced by the enemy. And so uh, what happens here, it says that Satan entered him. And then our Lord uh, looks at him and says, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, what's interesting is that we look at Judas and we say, he said this to Judas. But in my head, as I was reflecting on this, 
one of the questions I asked was, did he? Was it to Judas? Judas was the instrument. Judas certainly is the one who committed all the actions, and so he is morally culpable. But who was he talking to? Was he talking to the enemy? Was he talking to Judas? Um, was he talking to both? Uh, and right after that, it's interesting because, again, even with all this conversation going on, the disciples don't know don't know what our Lord's talking about. Scripture goes on to, to tell us again, um, as we heard uh, on on Holy Monday, that Judas was a treasury, kept the bags. Some thought, oh, let's get more for the feast, uh, because Passover was more than just a a one-time, one-meal thing. It actually spanned, uh, spanned uh, more than the evening into, into a whole day. Um, and, and when it was combined with the Feast of Unleavened Breads, it all came together. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, he says that, um, uh, that they thought it was also to give uh, to the poor as well. And so um, it's important that it says that Judas took the morsel, left it once, and it was night. Now we always think of night as this darkness or this uh, kind of um, scary because we can't see anything. There's no light. Uh, it's unfamiliar to us. How do we get around? Uh, because uh, what is night but an absence of light? Well, in Scripture, it's, it's more than that. Uh, when we think of Passover and we think of night, we think of we think of Exodus. We think of the angel of death uh, coming through Egypt. And uh, striking down the firstborn of every uh, per family and an animal if they did not eat the Passover lamb, if they did not take part of the Passover meal. You know, um, your family may have uh, uh, put that uh, meal together and uh, the lamb and you look and say, oh, I don't really want lamb tonight. Don't want to eat it. And uh, you happen to be the firstborn. Well, you wouldn't be waking up the next morning. You had to eat the lamb. It's not just to receive but you must also consume. And part of the question here, when you look at Judas, is it says, so Judas took the morsel and left it once. It never said he consumed the morsel. It said he took it. I mean, I guess we could think that that he, he, he received it. But then we would also say that that would be blasphemy. He received um, our Lord at that first, that first um, Holy Mass, that Eucharist. He received it unworthily. He didn't uh, receive it in a state of grace. And so um, that heaps more on on onto him. Now, um, after that, uh, uh, we, we find uh, Jesus saying after he le uh, leaves that um, now, um, uh, uh, now uh, will he be glorified. Um, and in fact, it says now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. Remember, son of man is that very specific uh, phrase, it goes back to Daniel 7 and Daniel uh, 9, that talks about uh, the Son of Man who rides upon the clouds and that comes before the Ancient of Days, and that the Ancient of Days gives him uh, power, dominion, glory, honor uh, for all eternity. And so it's a messianic title. He's literally calling uh, that Son of Man God and, and that he's being glorified, that he uh, he is the Son of God. He's the Son of the Ancient One. And it says that God himself is glorified in him. Remember what he said, uh, talking to his disciples, uh, when he was asked, Lord, show us the Father. And he uh, goes on to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, the Father and I are one. Um, that very Trinitarian uh, started to reveal the Trinity 
to the disciples uh, that are there. And that glorification is, is important. Um, but how is he glorified? He's glorified uh, precisely because he accepts the suffering at the hands of evil men. Um, and that he's he's going to show us the dimensions of his love uh, through through the acceptance of of that um, suffering uh, for us, that his love is most perfectly poured out. Uh, I had mentioned in the episode concerning Holy Monday about the bridegroom, uh, the service of the bridegroom that uh, that the Eastern Church celebrates. And with that icon, it shows our Lord with the crown of thorns, uh, the rod that he was beaten with on his head uh, with the thorns and that scarlet cloak. And if you see the full one again, he's standing in the chalice and it's showing that pouring out of his love uh, for, for us. Again, reminiscent of Ephesians 5, where it talks about God's love for the church and gives us the pattern of for what marriage is supposed to supposed to look like. You know, if you have your Bible, I want you to flip open uh, to Romans 5, 8. And, and this very much uh, is, is connected to uh, that verse in, in John 13, 31. And verse 5, 8, uh, when we're discussing that glory, um, it, it says this. It says, uh, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I, I'm going to continue on here to, to verse 9 and verse 10 because I think they're so important. Verse 9 goes on to say, Since therefore we are now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And that is that is truly uh, the gospel poured out. That is that is our Christian message. That while we were still sinners, it's one thing uh, for you to die for a good man, but but he dies uh, for us when we're yet still sinners. Uh, that we haven't proven ourselves. Um, that uh, it's not that uh, it's not that we've done uh, anything to deserve it, but it's all grace. That he desires to save us from our sins. That no matter what we do, no matter what sin we commit. That there's always grace there for us. There is always mercy. If only we would but confess our sins and then receive that mercy from him. It's not uh, enough to just confess those sins through that sacrament of reconciliation, but to let go of them, to close the door, to 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 shut those opportunities so that we can uh, not only avoid the sin, but the near occasions of sin. And then to let our Lord uh, love us by the power of his cross, the cross being that symbol of his love poured out and and the cross that's literally the 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 hammer and the anvil um, both in the same that just uh, crushes the shackles of sin and sets us free um, and it's what Saint Paul goes on to say where the spirit of, uh, of the Lord is uh, we are free indeed um, and all that is is all part of this now uh, what's also interesting uh, when we when we take a look. Uh, at at this, you also see um, that that Peter is there. Uh, Peter, uh, we love Peter because he's so exuberant. Uh, he is so uh, he's so always, you know, kind of not just a cheerleader for the Lord, but, but ready to do whatever it takes. And so we find uh, Peter there uh, saying that he'll lay down uh, his life for him. Well, it is true that Peter will eventually lay down his life for him, but is he ready at that moment? No, no. He kind of um, overstepped. 
uh, he he said a little more, and and our Lord our Lord makes that that prophecy, which is which is so hard that it happens on Good Friday. Um, it says, "Amen, amen." I say to you uh, that the cock will not crow before you deny me three times. Um, all that is in in the gospel here today. Plus, plus we hear about this Last Supper for the first time. Something for us to consider and 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 to to pray through. Here's what I would suggest. Um, as we move towards Holy Thursday and we discuss the Lord's Supper, maybe uh, we take some a moment and start to look a little more about uh, the Todah sacrifice. Uh, 